You're listening to Dental Talk from VivaLearning.com. Thanks for joining us for this Viva podcast. Today we'll be discussing practicing special care dentistry for special patients. Providing the best in special dental care for special people requires not only the desire to provide the best treatment, but also using the finest in diagnostic technology. This requires that the best diagnostic equipment should not only provide the clinician with abundant information, but does so in a manner that is also kind and comfortable for the patient, creating the ideal dental experience. Our guest today is Dr. Mark Cannon, a professor of otolaryngology, Division of Dentistry at Northwestern University, Feinberg School of Medicine, an attending physician at Anne and Robert Lurie Children's Hospital, and a member of the International Association of Pediatric Dentistry. He is the research coordinator of the Pediatric Dental Residency Program at Anne and Robert Lurie Children's Hospital in Chicago, Illinois. Dr. Cannon has 40 years of experience in pediatric dentistry and has presented lectures both nationally and internationally. Our sponsor today is Air Techniques, a leading U.S. manufacturer of choice products for the dental professional, specializing in digital diagnostic systems, hygiene solutions, and other relevant product categories. Dr. Cannon, it's a pleasure to have you on Dental Talk. Well, thank you again, Phil, for having me back. It's always a pleasure to be talking to you. Yeah, and we just uh, finished a webinar that you did uh, pro bono, which was really, really well done on reopening your practice post-COVID-19. Fantastic webinar. Anybody that has not tapped into that, uh, please visit vivalearning.com. You could put in the search field Canon, C-A-N-N-O-N, to reach Dr. Cannon's webinars. And of course, you'll see it. And it, it's the recorded version will be on there for you to review. It, was, it covers everything. It just was incredibly well done and well prepared. We really thank you for that. So getting to the topic of today, which is special needs patients, let us begin by a simple question, which uh, may not be that simple. Why should dentists learn to treat patients with special needs? There's a lot of reasons. First, there's a lot of patients with special needs. Uh, the special health care need patient population is growing very rapidly in many elderly people who have you know, different type of neurological issues from dementia to Alzheimer's. A large number of people who would have passed previously because of improvements in health care, they're living. There are a number of individuals you'll see in your practice who are, with, you know, they're, they get around, their mobility is limited because of wheelchairs and so on. So, yes, there is like tens of millions of patients who have special needs, but it's part of our obligation to treat those who need it the most, and they really need it the most, and they need to have someone who cares about them. So if you care about people with special needs, yeah, treat them, treat them well, but work hard to do the best you can for them, which means get the best equipment and study. Preventive dental care, of course, we know is important in routine dentistry. How vital is it when it comes to patients with special health care needs? Well, it's even more important, and nothing bothers me more or irks me than to see someone write an article on special needs and then say, yeah, and just make sure you do your preventive care program. Wait, they're special needs. They need a special preventive care program, and all preventive care needs to be actually tailored to the individual. So if you have patients, let's say I'll give example of dystrophic epidermolysis bullosa. If they require care, 
it can be very, very painful for them. They can get blisters. So you want to make sure your preventive care is excellent. You want to use all the different available preventative products there are to prevent any sort of inter intervention that you would have to do or surgical treatment. Right. Now, is, is compliance an issue, uh, home care, that these patients sometimes don't comply? Does that hurt the whole preventive program? Yes, absolutely. In fact, there are ways around that, though. Uh, I give example that there's these xylitol mouth sprays where the health care giver can just come in and spray two or three times a day in the mouth of the patient, and that greatly reduces the plaque buildup. And it's a very strong anti-inflammatory, and quite frankly, that's an easy procedure to do. And I would recommend that they do that at all the nursing care facilities because it's been shown to reduce the rate of pneumonia, which is, as we know, something we have to be concerned about. So when treating special needs in pediatric patients, what are some of the considerations that you need to keep in mind when performing what would be otherwise a routine dental exam? Well, pediatric patients are special, just like uh, many of the adult special patients we were talking about earlier with Alzheimer's and dementia. They're special in the fact that you're dealing with a two-year-old or three-year-old who, uh, although they're extremely intelligent, never, and never underestimate their intelligence because they're very, very intelligent. They can be also very manipulative, and uh, they can outsmart you. And you cannot reason because the, they don't want to reason. So you have to explain and use your tell, show, do. And then you have to manage their behavior by not inflicting any discomfort. So it's important that you have a whole armamentarian where you can get radiographs comfortably, for instance. I'm just going to use that as an example. Because we have patients who come into the office all the time and need restorative care, and the parent will say, well, were referred by Dr. Smith, and Dr. Smith was unable to get the x-rays because Dr. Smith tried to put a really big CCD sensor in that patient's mouth, and it just didn't fit. And you've got to make sure the patient's comfortable, especially children. Children will not give you a second chance. You have to make them comfortable every time because that's what they, they can develop a fear very easily. They've already been fooled a few times by trips to the pediatrician where they thought well, it was going to be an easy visit, then the nurse comes in with the immunization afterwards. When it comes to digital radiography, digital imaging, you mentioned the sensor, the hard sensor. I guess PSP would be something that a dentist should have in their practice to get that oh, especially as a backup to okay. that, or, or not even as a backup, and maybe as a primary modality for digital imaging. Well, especially if you're in pediatric dentistry. I know a lot of people like the CCDs because they like the image that they get with a CCD. They think it's instantaneous and all that. But actually, if you take a whole bunch of radiographs and you scan them all at one time, you get done in about the same amount of time overall for the radiographic exam. The reason being is that the um, PSPs, uh, they're flexible, they're thin, they're one-thirtieth the thickness of a CCD. You can place them much faster much quicker, much more comfortably with the patient. Take the four to six radiographs you're planning on and have someone scan them through and they're up in no time. And you have a high quality, high resolution image to work with. Whereas if you do the CCD, you may have a number of retakes. And retakes take time. Uh, there's no question about it. If you have to take an image and take it again and take it again, 
kids lose confidence in that. And with a special needs patient, they may not hold still the second time or third time. Yeah, no, that was a great point that the first impression is so important. We, you know, we hear that in dentistry all the time with Crown and Bridge. When we're talking about an emotional connection to the patient, very important to develop a trust with the special needs patient. And if you don't get that positive interaction, then, then you're fighting an uphill battle from there on in. Can you talk to us about some of the modalities and technologies that are important to have in the office when examining a patient with special needs to make sure that those interactions are less traumatic for the patient? Well, the first thing is never skip the whole facial examination. Do your airway examination. Treat that patient to the utmost because you want to make sure you don't skip any steps. And I do that. I do an oral cancer exam. I do a whole thing on every new patient, even if they're one years of age. But then when you go on, you, you may need to have some radiographic imaging. And again, the PSPs are great for that. Or you may need to just simply, especially as they get older, you may want to get some imaging that is direct imaging with a high-definition camera or perhaps using your Camex Spectra where you can look for small carious lesions beginning. Now, in our office, we have a Diagnodent, but we like the Camex Spectra because it shows us the whole tooth. And prior to doing any sealants, which is a preventive measure, of course, we like to make sure that we actually are looking at good sound enamel. Perhaps a couple of areas could be blue where they could remineralize, but you'd be surprised how many times you can image a tooth that you have planned a sealant on and it's not truly sealable. So having really good diagnostic modalities like the Camex Spectra or, you know, now they have the Triton, which has the three different heads. You can use the proxy head to look for interproximal caries. You have the regular high-definition camera head. And, of course, you have the spectra head where you can look for the occlusal caries. And it's wonderful in preventive care. So when you plan these office visits for special health care needs patients, do you plan them to be longer to get more done in a visit knowing that it's more difficult to get them back? Or do you see them more often because you, you know that their, maybe their home care is not as good and they maybe, uh, their diet is not as good? Talk to us a little bit about what's going through your mind when you schedule these patients and you treatment plan them. Very good point because, you see, some of these patients are sitting every three months, some are seeing every four months, some are seeing every six months, depending on the individual itself and how much plaque there is and how much home care. We have some parents who they do incredible home care on their children or young adults who are special needs. Others do not do so well or they're in an institution. If they're in an institution, almost routinely you have to see them every three to four months. And then Maybe like once a year, you'll go get radiographs, but in between that time, you might just use like a Camex Spectra and then scan to look for any interprox, I'm sorry, any occlusal caries. And you don't want to overexpose the radiation. So it's really great to have all these augmentive types of uh, techniques to, to check and diagnose for caries early. That is so important because, again, if you can go in and do minimally invasive dentistry and not have to anesthetize a patient because perhaps they're doing a preventive resin, like a fissurotomy, or you go in and use some, um, I use ultrasonic dentistry a lot on these patients because it's extremely comfortable. Well, then you can do it without making it into such a big ordeal for both the patient and the practitioner. 
So the camera that you mentioned, which is an Air Techniques product, is that a built-in where it comes off your delivery unit, or is that what's the footprint in the office for something like that? Well, mine is not built in. It doesn't really need to be built in. I mean, I have a little hanger for it. It simply plugs into the USB, and we interface it with our X-ray vision X-ray program. So it doesn't take any space. In fact, you would love to have the unit be movable, so you can move it easily from operatory to operatory. So um, it's it's a wonderful system to have. Uh, We do have two in the office. And um, I also have two diagnodents in the office, so we try to make sure that we use them routinely so we can actually measure how effective our preventive program is. Exactly, if you take an image and you save it in your x-ray vision or whatever x-ray program you have, and then you go back to that same tooth a year later and take an image, you find that all those little blue areas have that were showing up with your CAMX spectra are now showing as orange and yellow. Well, you didn't prevent anything. You now have active caries that has to be restored. So how how can you judge your preventive program unless you have a a measurement, a metric you can use? Yeah, yeah, that's an interesting point. Um, When I go to the dermatologist, he routinely takes photographs of any things that he sees that's a little suspicious. And then, of course, the next time I come in, if he doesn't remove it, he'll look at the photographs and make a comparison. How otherwise would he be able to determine from one visit to the the next with any given patient, with all the patients he sees, how that lesion is progressing? So I assume it's under the same thought process that you're referring to. Absolutely. You have to have the image, 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 image. And that's one of the things that when you have the Triton HD unit, you can go in and take these high definition images, even of some stain and look back a year later and say, look how much more stain we're getting. We have to do something that's a little bit more aggressive on the stain or recession. You know, oh, this patient now has a lot of recession. Most people don't sit there and measure, oh, we have like, you know, a millimeter, half a gingival recession. They just put in their notes recession. But if you have the actual photo, you can see the recession. You can see the color of the gingiva. And of course, you just simply change the head. You can then look for interproximal caries with a proxy head. What are some of the key takeaways that you've learned in treating your special needs patients that you've applied in practicing on your typical pediatric patient? Well, not just typical pediatric. I think there's certain things we have to keep in mind. And and then this is very specific, of course, to pediatrics and special health care needs. But first of all, treat them with respect. You, you've got to give them all the respect you can because, you know, by, by for the grace of God, that could have been you who's in a wheelchair. It could be you in a nursing home. Secondly, never dismiss, dismiss their concerns. I can tell you really sad stories of uh, uh, young disabled patients who come in who have woke up from a general anesthetic and had stainless steel crowns on their incisors. Use the latest in technology and adapt your office to their needs because you've got to give them the best possible treatment you can, which means you have to diagnose everything early and then provide the correct treatment. And that's why preventive dentistry is vital. When someone says, well, we see someone every six months for preventive care, that's not preventive care. Preventive care is actually prescribing the probiotic they might need, put them on a polyol like a xylitol to reduce things, have them on the appropriate toothpaste, see them often so you know you can actually do advice. I have to tell you this little personal story. I called a director of a facility 
saying, hey, this patient of mine who just came in yesterday, the nurses have to do a better job brushing the teeth on this patient. And she started to laugh. I said, what's so funny? She goes, well, Dr. Cannon, your patients are the only ones we have here who still have their teeth. <laughs> this is a true story. <laughs> wow. So finally, diagnostic technology is key. And I always say, you know, testing is so important. Having the right radiographs. We have these kids come in. Someone has started treatment. They managed to sort of do some type of occlusal restoration on some primary molars. We take bite wings, and there's huge in approximals. So those visits were wasted. Mm -hmm. Same thing on patients with special needs. I cannot tell you how many times I've taken radiographs and said, oh, my God, look what we have in our approximate. Oh, look at the bone loss. Oh, look at that impacted wisdom tooth. Radiographs I would not have been able to take in with a thicker CCD. Basically, PSP is really the way to go for, for these kinds of patients. And Absolutely. Is there, is there any particular system that you use? Well, we use the Air Technique SWIFT system in the office because it does rapidly process and it does so with very high resolution and it has a very small footprint. We actually have two of them in the office. One has a very, very tiny footprint and the other one has a bigger footprint, but it has Wi-Fi capability. And what do you say to those dentists that say, well, I, I, I use a hard sensor and when it comes to patients that can't tolerate a hard sensor, I go with conventional film and I just run it through a, a film processor? Oh, we should never use conventional film anymore, mainly because of the radiation exposure to the patient. But you also have the effect on the environment. That's something we can't forget. That's one of the main reasons I personally switched from using traditional radiographic film. And it was an early adapter. Is I could not see that being something that was sustainable for our environment. And why would you keep the expense of a dark room when you don't need it? that room be better suited for some other technology. Right. And also the workflow, just sharing the films with specialists and putting them in your records, whatever digital record system that you use in your office. At this point in time, it just it's hard to make an argument for traditional film in any way. You're 100% correct. In fact, I hate this. Every once in a while, I'll get a traditional film sent to me from another office, and I look at that going like, what am I supposed to do with this? <laughs> now I have to go, and I have to scan it so I can put it in my program. So when you have the common courtesy to at least scan it for me first? <laughs> yeah, yeah that, is, that is so true. My wife brings me envelopes from whatever, an investment firm or, or, or something that comes in the mail for payroll, and it's quarterly, and it has to come in paper form, and I literally do not know what to do with it. I look at it, and I read it, and I go, what am I supposed to do with this? I mean, I guess I have to scan it and put it in a folder, but I don't even know how to find things that are that are filed in paper format anymore. But we're so past that age. That alone should make traditional film a dinosaur. Um, okay. You're right. That's a whole We're point. so past that age, aren't we? <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's, uh, it's, things are changing fast. And the generation yeah. that's out there now that's practicing dentistry, they can't tolerate things that are not digital. Uh, even e-learning, Dr. Cannon. I mean, we had, we had almost 6,000 people signed up for your webinar and it's, we had 250,000 users on Viva Learning in the last two weeks. 250,000 unique users have come on to Viva Learning to take a webinar or a podcast in 14 days. It's absolutely unbelievable. Um, we're almost ready to wrap up this podcast, but I do want to ask you, are there any programs that a practitioner can participate in that will assist in their ability to communicate with patients and caregivers? 
I have belonged to a number of these patient organizations and for instance, Autism Speaks, and I have belonged to DEBRA, the Dystrophic Epidermolysis Bellosa Research Association. I lecture at the Magic Foundation meeting where we have all those patients with special rare diseases. They're all there. And these are groups where the patient's there and the parent's there. And so are all the experts. And we lecture and we ask each other questions. It has been such a wonderful experience. It opens your mind. You see so much more. And this is where I've actually sat and had lunch and talked to a, a big table of patients who have suffered so much and your heart just bleeds and you just want to do the best you can for them. And they give you ideas. And so, you know, a lot of the things we're doing, like with the EB kids, is we're doing commissure re-expanding. We're expanding their mouth to a normal size. They can eat well. They can brush their teeth. They can maintain things. No one had done it before. They should have been doing it forever. So I lecture on that too. There's a lot of special needs techniques. But going to those meetings have been so important. I just listed a few. Right, right. There's a lot others. I just listed those three first ones right there. Mm-hmm. So that and uh, being very involved in the community and there's a lot of uh, special care facilities that are around. In fact, there's I can look out my window and see one actually right here that I have gone over and I've talked to them about what they do. And I've gone out to many of these institutions and I would visit them and I would go over the nursing staff. This is what you can do safely. This is what you should be doing for the patients and so on. And these are not my patients. These are just people who are there. Mm -hmm. That's how you find out what they need. So would you say that uh, having a dentist treat special health care needs patients is that something that they're doing for like for the community or can they actually make it worth it for them economically? Now, I know there's a great, <clears throat> great amount of satisfaction in it. It's the right thing to do as a healthcare provider for sure is to have open doors to special healthcare needs patients. But what about the cost of, of taking care of these patients? Does it, do you lose money on, on these patients because they, they require more time and they don't get the kind of advanced restorative work that some other patients would get? Well, you don't make a lot of money. You don't lose money. Uh, I haven't really ever really been concerned about that, to be perfectly honest with you. I have had patients of mine who've moved to other states. They'll try to find someone to take care of them. I've gotten phone calls back from some practitioners saying they take too much time. I'm not going to do it. And I'm always surprised because it's, you know, in dentistry, we make a really good living. We do. We make a really good living, and I have no complaints. Sure, I could be wealthier, but, you know, you could be wealthier. We could all be wealthier, but we do things because it's the right thing to do, and I think the majority of dentists feel that way. And I just want them, if they take care of these kids or these disabled adults or, you know, even the patients we mentioned, Alzheimer's and dementia patients, do so remembering that could be you. You answered that very well. So I think we covered... Just about everything. Is there anything else you want to talk about? Is there any uh, COVID-19 piece to this? or do you th- do Well, they're, they're, they're a big concern with COVID-19 because a lot of these patients, are their health is not the best. A lot of them, they're, they don't have normal mobility, which means they're always at much higher risk to things like pneumonia. And we kind of mentioned that. They, 
There are institutions. So can you imagine you bring one of these patients into your office and somehow because you did not manage to do everything you should in reducing aerosols, that you bring a special needs patient in and they contract COVID-19, they go back to their facility and they infect 20, 30 other people and three of them die. Yeah, and, so that, and that's what you that's mentioned. That's serious. Yeah, yeah, and you mentioned that in your webinar. You talked about the subway systems in New York City where the healthcare providers in the nursing homes were passing along to each other on the subway and, you know, contracting it on the subway and then bringing it into the nursing home. And what a, what a catastrophe that turned out to be, if you think yeah, about it. Yeah, for New everybody. York. Now, they have to prove all this, and unfortunately, now it's too late to prove it because hopefully by now they've taken a lot of those train cars off and disinfected them. But I know that, again, there's a problem with homeless on the train system. We'll never, ever know, but this is why environmental testing, and we talked about this earlier in the webinar, will be one day very important for everything. And is testing of the patient, testing of the practitioner, testing of the team, and environmental testing because if, if you're – office is spreading a contaminant, it doesn't even matter if it's uh, SARS-CoV-2 as a virus. Imagine what happens when SARS-CoV-3 comes or H1N1 comes back a little bit more virulent in two years. I mean, just in 2017, 2018, we had a really high death rate. We were uh, really due this year, too, for a really high death rate just from the flu. So this is where we are, my friend. We have to have really good testing and we have to take care of those at, at highest risk. Mm -hmm. You believe that eventually, I don't know when it's going to happen, but especially for COVID-19, every dental office in the, in the country are going to have some sort of test system in the office that you, you were trying to get through your medical friend you mentioned on the webinar. That will be something that will be a piece of equipment that will be standard for every dental practice? Yes. I think not only for, for we're talking about COVID-19, but I think over the next five, 10 years, we'll be testing for all sorts of different microorganisms that people haven't even heard about before. One of my favorites is Chromobacter zoocidans, and that's a bacteria that we found associated with autism and very strongly with autism. And it's a strange bacteria that actually breaks down high-density polyethylene, plastic number two, and so it lives on plastic, which is really interesting. You find it in recycling plants and all that. But also it's a main uh, contaminant and a problem with patients with cystic fibrosis and it attacks the neurotransmitters. So it messes up the neurotransmitters in the developing brain. Wow. Hmm. wow. You'll hear more and more about that. But you know, one day when you have your patient come in, you'll be testing them for Porphyrmonas gingivalis FIM-A type 2. You'll be testing them for Fusobacterium nucleatum FAD-A mutation. You'll be testing them for all these things because you'll be able to now treat perio intelligently. And this goes for those patients with special needs, especially. Yeah. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Cannon. We appreciate your time on this podcast. We appreciate having you do this incredible webinar earlier today, reopening your dental practice post-COVID-19. It was, it was so well done. And again, I encourage everybody to tap into that on vivalearning.com. It was so full of information. If you're thinking about opening up your office in the next couple of weeks, uh, I would certainly watch that. So we hope to have you on another webinar and podcast soon. Dr. Cannon, be safe, and thanks for your contributions to the dental community. Well, thank you so much, Phil, for having me on. It's been fun. Let's do this again. <laughs>